welcome back to the Elemental Evan Show. How's everyone doing today? Today I have a very sweet episode for you all today. Uh, today's episode is going to be about sugar. We're going to cover kind of the history of sugar as well as what sugar does in your body and why are we so sugar addicted. Now before I jump into this episode, I just want to first cover a few things with all of you and that is first off, Thank you for listening today. If this is your first episode, welcome to the Elemental Evan podcast. And uh, if you enjoy this episode, please be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on, as well as go ahead and leave a comment on Apple Podcast. It means a lot to me and helps people find this podcast easier. So that means a lot and is very, very helpful. Uh, and aside from that, I just hope everyone's been having a great week so far, and fall is almost here. The PSLs are in Starbucks, so you know it is time for fall. And uh, yeah, one of my favorite seasons by far would have to be fall, and I'm just loving it. Now, jumping right into this episode today, it is all about sugar. Now, sugar can come in many different forms. But the form that we are mainly going to focus on today is going to be table sugar or cane sugar. So let's back it up a little bit and first talk about how we used to find sugar. So ancestrally, we were consuming sugar through honey and fruit and even actually sugar cane as well. And the thing is, is that we used to have to go down and track sugar. So sugar was not something that was just readily available chilling in your cabinet. It wasn't something you could just open that freezer and pull out a nice bowl of delicious ice cream and get a nice little sugar spike there. No, you had to actually go track down this sugar. So first off, instinctively, we as humans are meant to crave sugar. And the reason we crave sugar is because it is a very, very calorie-dense food. It provides a lot of energy, and from a survival standpoint, that's very important because when you think about our ancestors, they went through periods of famine and times where it was very difficult to come across, you know, high-calorie, you know, dense foods. So when you came across something like honey, which was extremely high in sugar, you ate that and <laughs> you went to town on it because that was going to help get you through some very hard times possibly. But on that note, the sugar we were consuming back at that time came in raw forms, right? So it came in forms of sugar, or uh, sorry, as, as honey. So honey, as we know, has a lot of other great properties to it that help with certain ailments in the body. So it wasn't just, you know, table sugar in its pure form. It was uh, combined with all these other ingredients and nutrients um, as well as in fruits, you know, fruits have a lot of enzymes and minerals and vitamins in them as well. So it was a very different form of sugar, but also to find, for example, honey, you probably had to hike a very, very long distance, which was going to burn a lot of energy. And then just the process of actually extracting the honey from the beehive was going to be very, very difficult and probably energy intensive so you were burning a ton of calories in the process of just obtaining that sugar. Whereas when you walk from the couch to the fridge, that is very minimal in the amount of calories burned to obtain that high sugary food that we 
also love very much. But anyways, let's go ahead and cover how we went from tracking down these raw forms of sugar to that little white powder that we add to basically everything. Well, for starters, table sugar is typically extracted from the sugarcane plant, which if you haven't seen this plant before, it actually looks very similar to uh, bamboo, in my opinion. Uh, it's, you know, really grows in uh, tropical regions. Uh, so if you've ever been to a tropical area, anywhere close to the equator, you've probably seen it grown uh, in those regions. Now with sugarcane, you can actually chew on the raw plant and suck out some of the sweet juice from inside of it. In uh, Colombia, for example, they actually make a drink called agua panela, which is when they take these sugar canes and squeeze them, so they kind of juice these sugar canes, which results in this dark brown drink that's typically consumed with a little squeeze of lime into it, and believe me, is delicious. But back in the day when this kind of technology wasn't around, you know, this juicing technology, people had to stick to just chewing on the plant, which was actually quite beneficial in a lot of ways. Um, there's a whole process of mastication or chewing that I'll get into in another episode, but that is really actually good for your mouth to chew on things that require a lot of uh, chewing. It helps to strengthen a lot of the bones and muscles in the jaw. As well as sugar, uh, sugar cane has a lot of vitamins and minerals, specifically B vitamins. So when you're getting these, you know, raw forms of sugar cane, yes, it's also very high in sugar, but it does have other beneficial properties to it, such as when you eat fruit or honey, it also has, you know, vitamins and minerals in it. Now, the sugar cane is believed to have originated from Southern Asia. So think, you know, Thailand. Vietnam, India, Laos, all those countries in that region, and uh, then obviously spread to other countries and is now mass-produced in other areas. But refined sugar first appeared in India 2,500 years ago and eventually made its way through trade to Europe by the first century AD. Now, it was discovered by the Indians that they could take this juice from the sugar cane and turn it into these little granules which had a much longer shelf life and allowed them to be traded because obviously back in the day you didn't have Amazon Prime and you had to wait a little bit uh, a little bit longer for your goods to get to you. So a little fun fact on that too is that these sugar granules were actually referred to as Khand or K-H-A-A-N-D by the Indians in their uh, native tongue and which would later lead to the term of candy. Now the sugar... The way it's actually created is pretty interesting, and it's a very long process, but I'm just going to break it down into a simple kind of, uh, you know, footnotes kind of uh, breakdown. So the way you create sugar, like the sugar cane, or sugar cane granules or the table sugar, is you begin by first juicing the sugar canes, and once you juice it, you then put it through a purification process, which strips it of really the impurities, but as well as the color and a lot of the vitamins and minerals get stripped away right at that point in time. The result is that you're left with this kind of sugary juice that's more like actually kind of a syrup. And from this syrup, what they do is they add these little grains of sugar called seeds, which allow this syrup to kind of bind to those uh, seeds or grains of sugar 
and allow these granules to start to develop and thus you have these granules of sugar known as table sugar or cane sugar. Now, as demand grew for sugar in Europe, there became a need for more farmers and plantations, which unfortunately, as we know, led to a lot of land grabbing and colonization of tropical areas, such as the islands in the Caribbean and many other areas as well that were close to the equator. And obviously this led to a lot of slave trade and slave usage to grow the sugar canes. So really sugar does kind of have a pretty dark history in that sense. But moving forward to the uh, use of sugar, when we jump to the 1700s, once these plantations actually started to become more established, you had the average person in Britain consuming roughly four pounds of sugar a year. Uh, now, this is actually quite low compared to today, to today, but at that time, it was a good amount because finally, sugar was something that could actually be consumed by the average person. It wasn't a luxury good that only, uh, you know, rich people or People could only take in certain um, situations, such as helping medicine actually taste better. Uh, that was a really common use for sugar, was uh, combining it with medicine. Now, as the plantations continued to grow in the Americas, by 1870, the average British person consumed 47 pounds of sugar. So that's 4 pounds in 1700s to 47 pounds in 1870. And if you fast forward to today, the average British person consumes about 100 pounds of sugar with the average U.S. citizen consuming 150 pounds of added sugar. Now, that added sugar is not just cane sugar. That can also be uh, something such as high fructose corn syrup. Have you heard of it? It's probably in most of the drinks that we're drinking. Okay. Now, moving on from the history of sugar, let's dive in a little bit to how sugar is bad for you. So to start off, your blood sugar levels should never really exceed 110 milligrams per deciliter. Actually, it can even go down as low as 80 uh, milligrams per deciliter. So the average adult has 1.2 to 1.5 gallons of blood, which is roughly 50 to 56 deciliters of blood. Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of math here. I'm not going to walk you through it, but this basically means that at any given point, you have about five grams of sugar in your blood. Now, taking that five grams of sugar in your blood and comparing it to some of the foods we eat, I'm going to give you guys a list here of some common, specifically drinks and a few foods uh, that have high sugar content. So starting off with a 12 ounce can, uh, can of Coke, it contains 39 grams of sugar compared to 5 grams of sugar that's in your blood at any one point. Now, going to a 21-ounce bottle of Sprite, you have 44 grams. 12-ounce can of Mountain Dew, 46 grams. Java Chip Frappuccino, either a tall or a grande. I'm sorry, I wasn't able to find the size, but that was 60 grams of sugar. Iced Cafe Mocha, 30 grams. Venti white chocolate mocha with whipped cream. I just wanted to throw this one in there because it was the highest one I could find. 73.8 grams of sugar compared to only 5 grams of sugar in your blood at one time. So obviously these are excessive amounts of sugar. 
Now, jumping into something that a lot of people might not compare with being unhealthy, we have a eight ounce glass of orange juice coming in at 21 to 24 grams of sugar. Now, an eight ounce glass of apple juice, 22 grams of sugar. And if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around this, an eight, eight ounces is less than a measuring cup. So you think just one cup, you know, uh, you know, you at you're making something, baking something. That one cup is more than eight ounces of apple juice or orange juice. And let's be real, people are not just stopping at one cup. Okay, <laughs> we're drinking a couple, a few glasses of this. So you're gonna want to go ahead and times that by two or three or four, maybe. Going on, we have a food here that I want to cover, and that is one bowl of cereal. So I didn't want to just target any specific cereal here, but what I found was at the low end of a bowl of cereal, you had uh, at least 27 grams of sugar, with the high end being 37 grams of sugar. And let's be honest, <laughs> were you that kid that used to throw a little bit of added sugar on top of there and, you know, kind of let it build up at the bottom of the bowl so when you finish off the milk, you got some uh, little sugar granules down there because I definitely know I might have done that a couple times and I definitely know a few people who did that as well. Uh, so that 27 and 37 grams of sugar is probably on the lower end there. And this is just really to highlight all the places that sugar is that we don't really think of, right? So I just, you know, I can go much deeper into a lot of these different processed foods that we have, as well as certain things like, you know, marinara sauce actually has a lot of sugar in it as well. And these are things that you wouldn't naturally um, associate with high levels of sugar, right? But they're in there. So it's extremely important to read every single label, especially if it's a boxed good. You definitely want to take a look at the back and see how much sugar are you really getting. And don't be fooled because they will do the serving size, which is not a serving size typically. And that's just to make their numbers look a lot better. Now, from how it's bad for, to our, for our bodies, I'm going a little bit more into the illnesses here. And I just want to kind of explain that when our, our bodies break down sugar, into, uh, they break it down into glucose and fructose. And when we have too much of this glucose and fructose in our systems, our liver goes through a process where it turns the sugar into lipids through a process called lipogenesis, which is basically storing the excess sugar as fat to protect your body and help you get that ex excess sugar out of your blood. So your liver is doing all it can to kick out this crazy amount of added sugar that we're putting in our bodies and literally keep you from dying or getting a serious illness by turning that sugar into fat. And uh, in, the, in the past, this was a really great process because when you made this fat, well, obviously, if you went through a famine or a period of, you know, very little food, you had something to rely on. However, nowadays, we don't go through periods of famine. We have a constant feast, right? So this sugar that we're eating and turning into fat never actually gets the chance to be used as energy. It just stays there and it builds and it builds and it builds and it leads to bigger problems down the road. So that is one process in which sugar is bad for you. It, it allows your body to store extra fat. It makes you gain fat, right? But also the really big one here is diabetes. So obviously this is a very common 
issue in our society today, but I'm going to explain a little bit of how diabetes is created, um, and specifically we're going to be talking about uh, type 2 diabetes here. So when you have too much glucose in your blood, your pancreas secretes a hormone called insulin. Okay, so your uh, pancreas, it's right next to your liver. And what this insulin does is it'll take the glucose in your blood, the excess glucose, right? Because obviously we are consuming way too much. And it's going to deliver it to your cells so that they can use it as energy because glucose is a building block of energy. However, over time, your body can become what's called insulin resistant. Think of your body is still producing this insulin, but what's happening is these cells are not allowing that uh, insulin to deliver the sugar or the, the glucose into the cells, which means that you're just having excess glucose building up in your, in your blood. Um, and it can also be with type 2 diabetes that you are not producing significant amounts of insulin, but typically it's uh, uh, insulin resistance, meaning you're producing the insulin, but it's just not able to do its job right. It's overwhelmed and the cells aren't accepting that sugar into the cell so that they can use it as energy. So when this happens, you have excess glucose in your bloodstreams, in your bloodstream, and this can lead to serious and fatal health conditions such as heart disease, heart attacks, cancer, and even amputations. On that note, when you eat excessive amounts of sugar, it also is known to increase your LDL, which is low-density lipoprotein uh, levels, and that is the bad form of cholesterol, as opposed to your HDL, which is the good cholesterol. As well as all these issues that it creates, it's also sugar is also linked to diseases such as Alzheimer's, dementia, macular degeneration, bone degeneration, sleep disturbances, arthritis, inflammation, and gut dysbiosis or an imbalance in the gut of bad to good gut bacteria. That's a really huge one. Sugar is wreaking havoc on people's stomachs. It causes an imbalance in the gut bacteria as well as it can cause a lot of inflammation for people who have maybe, you know, Crohn's disease or uh, just sensitive gut issues or anything of that sort. This is really something you want to try to avoid. Now, this might lead us to the question of if sugar is so bad for us, then why are we still eating it? And why are these companies still continuing to make a ton of it and put it in all of our foods? Well, to answer that for starters, we are just straight addicted, okay? So sugar, as I explained earlier, is such a calorie-dense food that our bodies are naturally designed to go seek this food out. And on top of that, we get a literal high from sugar, you know, the sugar high, a sugar rush, right? Which is just basically you have an excess amount of glucose or, you know, energy in your body and your cells eat it up and they use that rush of energy. But then what ends up, what ends up happening? You have a crash. You come down from that sugar high, right? So it's literally in a way kind of like a drug in that sense where it gives you this spike in good feeling and energy and then has a nice come hard come down. Uh, also, we create really bad habits around sugar because for those of you who have kids or maybe you can think of when you were a kid, what happens when you did something good? When you maybe got good grades or I don't know, you just did something well, maybe you won that soccer game. What happened? Your parents probably rewarded you with some kind of a treat 
And was that treat a zucchini or, <laughs> you know, a banana? Maybe it was a banana. I don't know. But I doubt it was the zucchini, right? It was probably something along the lines of a super, super sweet candy or maybe a delicious, yummy, sugary drink. Something of that sort, right? Because obviously kids love that. Our bodies are designed to crave that. And it's very easy to get kids to eat that. But what are we doing when we do that? Well, we are connecting this, you know, thought process of doing good things becomes reward for, you know, these high sugar foods. So when we feel that, you know, we did something good, or, you know, we deserve a break, or, you know, I put in a lot of work this week, so I'm going to go out and treat myself, you know, to that sugary, you know, Starbucks drink or whatever it is, you know, you're kind of creating that association, which is something that we really need to break, we shouldn't be putting those two things together and subconsciously thinking that sugar is a sense of reward for us. Also, on that note, as far as companies go, if you haven't already figured this out, it's just straight economics, okay? Our bodies are designed to crave sugar, so these companies who are producing foods, they want to obviously increase their sales annually. Every year they want to grow and grow and grow, and what's the easiest way to do that? Well, it's to sell something that we're designed to crave and, you know, literally just go crazy about. And so therefore, they're going to add more and more sugar until, you know, until we just can't take it anymore, I guess. But uh, it's really already coming to a point where there's just so much sugar in our food right now that, you know, the, the repercussions are becoming very, very apparent. Now, don't worry, I'm sorry, I know this is probably a little bit of a downer to hear because I know sugar is super, super tasty and it makes things really taste great. I enjoy certain things with sugar in it, but obviously in moderation. But we do need to start breaking free of this sugar addiction that we have going on right now. And what are some ways to do that? Well, if you want to go crazy and you really want to just like cut sugar off, there are sugar detoxes that you can do, and there's you know a ton of people such as uh, health coaches and nutritionists that can help walk you through these properly because if you are truly sugar addicted, it can be very hard to stop um, consuming sugar. Uh, you can actually really go through some pretty serious issues when you stop eating sugar. However, the outcomes of not eating sugar are really, really great. I've seen a lot of uh, firsthand experiences as well as just a lot of testimonials of people who have stopped eating sugar and, you know, certain things like, you know, that little nagging headaches that people would always get every single day or a skin rash or just, you know, arthritis, joint pain, things like that, or maybe even gut dysbiosis, they just clear up. So there are really a lot of positives to going on a full sugar detox, but if that's not for you and that's not where you're at right now, that's okay. We also have a lot of alternatives for sugars. So the two most common, or actually three most common ones, I would say, are uh, stevia, monk fruit, and then I'm going to throw honey in there, even though that's still a sugar. But let's focus right now on stevia and monk fruit. So stevia and monk fruit, these are two sweeteners that don't spike your blood sugar the same as, uh, as you know, cane sugar would. So supposedly they are supposed to be much nicer on your blood sugar levels. People with diabetes are supposed to be able to consume these sweeteners without having the same effects. Um, I think that there is still some science coming out 
that is trying to really see how true this is. But so far from what we can tell, it definitely is a much healthier alternative to any kind of cane sugar that you can think of. Uh, I personally use monk fruit very often. Stevia is a good sweetener, but it does have a little bit of an aftertaste that a lot of people do not enjoy. So monk fruit it literally looks like sugar, it tastes like sugar, and I can put it in you know, any baked good or, or coffee or whatever, and one for one, it is very, very comparable to sugar. Uh, so I really enjoy that one. Uh, look in your uh, local health food stores or maybe on Amazon. Uh, there's a brand called Lakanto that typically has it, but just any kind of monk fruit sweetener is a good one. Now, on that note, do not, do not, do not go from stopping your intake of cane sugar to then increasing your intake of things like Splenda or Aspartame. These are artificial sweeteners that are not, you know, derived directly from a plant like monk fruit or stevia, okay? And they are much, much worse for you than just honestly cane sugar would be. Uh, these are linked, you know, aspartame is linked with uh, brain tumors and different kinds of cancers. I mean, it's just, it's insane how bad these artificial sweeteners are, yet they they use these, uh, you know, companies like Coke, you know, Coke, uh, what do you call it, Di like Diet Coke and things like that. They'll use aspartame because, well, now you're lowering the calorie intake, but what you're getting in return is some serious health issues down the road. So do not bother trying to switch over to, you know, diet sodas, or uh, I believe they call them like Gatorade Zeros, or anything that's zero or diet. Be very wary about and definitely read the ingredient list. If you see some kinds of, some kind of sweeteners or just things you do not know what they mean, you know, different kind of words or maltodextrin or anything like that, Look it up. Look it up on your phone and figure it out. Or just don't buy those ones because they're probably not good for you. <laughs> okay, so that pretty much brings us to the end of this podcast. I realize that I threw a lot of information at all of you, but this one is a really big topic right now. Uh, obviously, being that we are consuming here in the U.S. over 150, uh, sorry, uh, around 150 pounds of sugar a year. This is really, really bad, okay? Um, all of these health conditions that we're coming across right now, a lot of them are stemming from just literally our increased intake of sugar. If you look historically, our ancestors were not consuming this high, high amount of sugar. And the sugar that they did consume was always paired with, you know, a form of exercise as well as the vitamins and minerals that naturally would have came with those sweeteners. So if you are going to continue eating sugar, please do me the favor and just try to at least lower the amount of sugar that you're drinking, uh, specifically drinking, because it's so easy to consume sugar in a drink without noticing that it's in there, or at least not in the high amounts that it's in there. And if you at least lower the amount of sugar you're intaking, that in itself is going to help out so much, okay? And on that note, I understand people, you know, they say, oh, it doesn't taste as well. Your taste buds will adapt. They just need time. So give yourself time to lower the sugar. And eventually, those high sugary drinks, if you try to drink one of those after, a, you know, two or three months of, of going off of sugar or really lowering your sugar amount by a large amount, 
then you're going to go and taste those drinks and they're going to be way too sweet. You're going to not even understand how you were able to drink those back in the day. Uh, so that's what I'm going to leave with, leave you with today. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you guys found a ton of information in this, uh, in this episode that you can use and apply to your life right now. Uh, I thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Uh, it means so much to me, and I'm happy to share this information with all of you. It's been a true honor for me here, and I hope that you continue tuning in, and I look forward to uh, having you on on the next episode. Thank you very much, and remember to always do everything with good intentions. All right, guys, peace. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. Evan Roberts is not a medical professional, and this podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Statements and views expressed on the show are not medical advice. This podcast, including Evan Roberts and any guests on the show, disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in this episode. If you think you have a medical problem, please consult a medical professional. Thank you.